Let's open our Bibles again to the book of Genesis. We have been doing a series of sermons in Genesis. This is our 10th sermon on the series. We have now completed God's creative work in the first six days, and we come now to the seventh day. Let's read Genesis 2, the first three verses. This is really part of chapter 1, if you remember. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now let's read two other brief passages, Exodus 20. Both of these are in the Ten Commandments. The first is Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. We know it very well. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And finally, Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the second speaking of the law of the Ten Commandments. The first was spoken by God's own voice, and this second time was spoken by the voice of Moses at the end of the wilderness wandering. Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, And that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. We read that far. The text for the sermon is focused on Genesis 2, the first three verses, but we'll be looking at other passages as well. After the Lord created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them in six days in the beginning, the scriptures tell us that God rested on the seventh day, he blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it. That seventh day became the Sabbath day, and the word Sabbath has the idea of rest. It became the day of rest. 
There is controversy in the Christian church today about the Sabbath day. There are at least three different main views. In the first place, there are Christians who believe that there is no longer any Sabbath day in the New Testament. They believe that the seventh day is not the Sabbath day, but neither is the first day the Sabbath day, because they believe there is no longer any Sabbath day. Therefore, they believe that there is no law governing the Sabbath day. There isn't a law for Christians that tells us what we may not do and what we must do on the Sabbath day, because there isn't one. The other view, a second view, is that there is still a Sabbath day in the New Testament, and it is still the seventh day. These would maintain that the law of God says the seventh day is the Sabbath day, and we may not change the law of God. No one has ever changed the law of God. God himself did not indicate a change, and therefore we must keep the Sabbath day holy by not working on Saturday and by going to church on Saturday. What do you believe? What is your view of the Sabbath? I believe, and I am going to preach this afternoon, that Jesus Christ our Lord did not abolish the Sabbath day, but that he fulfilled the Sabbath day and transferred it from the seventh day to the first day, And that our Lord Jesus Christ did all this by his life, death, and resurrection from the dead. That's the view that I am going to preach to you this afternoon. But before we get into that, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to the dawn of history. We have to go back to Genesis. And we have to see that our Lord instituted the Sabbath day on the seventh day after finishing his work of creating the heavens and the earth. So I call your attention this afternoon to God's institution of the Sabbath. We're going to look, first of all, at the Sabbath of creation, secondly, the Sabbath of redemption, and finally, the observance of the Sabbath. Looking at our text, Genesis 2, verse 1, we read, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them... And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. The text teaches us that God himself worked for six days in the very beginning of history and then rested on the seventh day. In our series, we have seen the work that God did in the first six days, which we believe were real, literal, normal days with an evening and a morning, just like we understand that today. We have seen that on the very first day of creation, God worked to create light and to cause it to shine in the midst of the darkness. On the second day, God worked to put a firmament between the waters that were below and the waters that were above. On the third day, God worked to create dry land and to cause it to appear in the midst of the one sea that was on the earth. And he caused the, dry, the plants to grow in the dry land. On the fourth day, God worked 
to create the sun and the moon and all of the stars that he placed up in the heavens above. On the fifth day, God continued his work, causing fish and birds to come forth, bursting in swarms in the sea and in the sky above. On the sixth day, God continued his work, causing the cattle and the beasts and the creeping things to come forth from the earth, fully formed, fully mature, adult animals. And he continued his work, causing it all to culminate when he formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then when he created out of the man the woman by an amazing wonder and brought her to the man and brought them together in the union of marriage in his image and after his likeness. God did all of that work in six days in the beginning of the world. But on the seventh day, as our text says, when the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them, and by the way, that's why we call him the Lord of hosts. The host of them refers to all the creatures in the universe, the angels, the birds, the fish, the animals, the human beings. All the creatures were all finished. Then on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. Why did God rest on the seventh day? God did not rest because he was tired. God did not rest because he was so weary from the massive undertaking that he had done to create a universe, a vast universe of space and time and creatures and so complex and so beautiful and wonderful that he was just exhausted and he had to rest for a day. We know that God does not have to rest for that reason. We know that God has unlimited, unbounded energy. There is no end to his strength and to his power and his might. God never slumbers and he never sleeps. He never needs to take a break because of tired being tired or weary. What does it mean then that God rested on the seventh day? It doesn't either mean that God ceased from all work and all activity so that on the seventh day God, as it were, sat down and did nothing. No, God was still very busy and very active on that seventh day because all of the things that God created now had to be preserved and sustained, and governed, and directed. The creative work of God merged into his work of providence. God is always working. Jesus said that too in John chapter 5. My Father is always working. God never ceases to work. He is constantly busy and active. And yet, the Bible says here that God rested on the seventh day. What then does that mean? The idea must be that after God created all these things in six days, he finished that specific work of creating new things. He stopped that particular work because it was finished. And as he stopped that particular work of creation, 
and rested, the idea is that God entered into the enjoyment and the admiration and the delight at the marvelous creatures he had made. God loves his creatures. And after he makes these things that are good and beautiful and perfect, then the scriptures teach us God rests, which means that God looks at everything that he has made and he admires his wonderful handiwork. God worked and God rested. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. And there the text is teaching us that God instituted the Sabbath day. He blessed the seventh day and he sanctified that day. That means that God set the seventh day apart as a special day, a holy day, a sacred day, a day of great blessings. Now, in some ways, the seventh day was no different from all the other days. The seventh day is a day in which the sun goes up, the sun rises to its peak, and the sun goes down. The moon appears, the stars, there is light, there is darkness, there is morning, there is evening, just like all the other days. But God set apart the seventh day as a special day of rest to be a blessing and a commandment for mankind. In the first place, we are told that God blessed the seventh day. And the idea is that God gave to the seventh day the ability to be a blessing to his human creatures, a blessing for them. God's intention was that just as he worked for six days and rested the seventh day, so also his human creatures would work for six days, and then they would have a whole day for rest. Now God just created Adam and Eve on the sixth day, and then he rested the seventh day. On that sixth day, when he created Adam and Eve as his crowning achievement and brought them together in the union of marriage, God gave them a mandate to work. Work, as we have seen, is not a result of the curse and the fall, but work is a good thing. Work is a blessed thing and a gift that God gives to us. God gave them the gift of work. He said, be busy. Have dominion over the animals. Subdue the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Dress and keep the garden. Adam and Eve, get busy. You have a lot of things to do. Get to work. But before you even begin working, come with me into the Sabbath rest. He gave them their mandate. He gave them their job orders. And the very next day was the Sabbath. And that shows us that Adam and Eve, as they walked into the Sabbath day with God, God resting and they resting with God, why were they resting? They hadn't even done any work yet. That shows us something about the idea of Sabbath rest. For us human beings, Sabbath rest is not only working and not only resting from the work that we do, but Sabbath rest has a higher meaning and a higher purpose. It is resting in the work that God has done. They hadn't done any work yet. And God brought them into the Sabbath. 
And God said to them, Come with me into the Sabbath day, and I am going to show you the work that I have done. And there in the Garden of Eden, which was the house of the Lord, in the very center of the whole creation, the place where God would dwell with Adam and Eve in the most intimate and special manner, God brought them into the Sabbath day. And God showed them all of his handiwork. He probably said, look up there, look at those beautiful stars that I made, and look at that sun, and look at the moon. Do you see the beautiful, pleasant trees? Do you smell the fragrance? And do you see the beauty? Do you see the fish swimming through the river? And do you hear the birds chirping in the trees? Look at my beautiful handiwork, Adam. Look at it, Eve. And rejoice with me. Delight with me in the wondrous things that I have created. And there, from the perspective of the Garden of Eden, they rested. Without having done any work yet, they rested, delighting in the works of God. And that first Sabbath day was not a burden to Adam and Eve. It was not an irritating thing for them to have to do. It wasn't a chore for them. God sanctified that day, which means that God set it apart as a sacred and holy day. God had a will for Adam and Eve. God wanted them to keep that day holy and not to work on that day. But it wasn't a burden for them, not an irritation, and that's because they were still perfect. They were created in the image and likeness of God. They were created in righteousness and holiness, and the law of God was written on their hearts. Oh, how they loved the law of God the law that would later have to be spoken to the Israelites. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. They loved that law. They delighted to spend the whole day with God. They considered it a joy and a delight. That was the institution of Sabbath day. But after the fall, after Adam and Eve fell into sin, Mankind began to consider the Sabbath day an irritating nuisance and a burden. Man began to desecrate the Sabbath. Man began to view the Sabbath as just another day to work and to play and to continue all the things that he did on regular days on the Sabbath day. And we certainly see that in the world today as well. When man turns away from God... When man rejects God, when man no longer wants there to be a God in his universe, he also throws away the Sabbath. We live in a world today in Western civilization in which unbelieving man would already deny everything I've said. They deny that God created this world in the beginning. They say it began by chance through a big bang about 14 billion years ago. And they say that all things have come about through evolution and development over millions and billions of years. And therefore, they believe that the day, every day is simply the same. Every day is simply another rotation of the earth on its axis in which we expose to the sun and we are exposed to the darkness and to the sun and to the darkness. And every day is alike. There is no day that is different from another day. There's no day that is sacred. And when it comes to the week, 
Modern man says, well, that's just an invention of man. The seven-day week is just an invention of man. We don't have to do that. We can do that. And so man does not consider there to be a Sabbath day. But after the fall, God's people also desecrated the Sabbath day because they too fell into sin. Now I'm sure that in the days after the fall, in the lifetime of Adam and Eve and their children after them, and then in the time of Noah and before the flood and after the flood and throughout the period of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, surely there was some remembrance of the Sabbath day that was passed on from generation to generation. Fathers and mothers taught their children that the seventh day was a special day, a day of rest, a day of worship, a day for the Lord. And yet, because God's people are also sinners, there were times when they also forgot the blessedness of the day of rest, when they also profaned what was sacred. God eventually brought his people into Egypt, through Joseph and his brothers. And there in Egypt, the nation of Israel emerged. God did that because he wanted to show, among other things, a higher and better reality of the Sabbath than what he instituted in the beginning. God wanted to show them by a type and a shadow the Sabbath of redemption. God brought his people into bondage in Egypt to reveal a greater work than his work of creation in six days, and that would be the work of redemption. God performed a mighty work when he redeemed Israel from the house of bondage. The whole of the Old Testament reflects upon that work. The Israelites were to live in the consciousness of that work of God even more than his original work of creation. They were to live in the consciousness and remembrance of his work of redemption. God brought Israel out of the house of bondage, out of the land of Egypt, by a mighty hand and a stretched out arm. He divided the waters of the Red Sea and brought them through the sea on dry ground and caused the waters to drown Pharaoh and his host. God did that by his mighty word and by his mighty power. He did the work of redemption. And when that work was completed, when all of the Israelites were over to the other side of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh was destroyed, and they had been given their redemption, given their freedom, God rested in that work. That is, God looked at his perfect work of redemption, and he delighted in it. He rejoiced in it. He admired his own handiwork in destroying the wicked with the plagues and in the Red Sea and bringing his people through the midst of the sea on dry ground. God delighted in his work because it brought glory to his name. It was a work of rescuing his people from a grievous work. God brought his people into Egypt so that they would taste the grievousness of work in this fallen world, the grievousness of work as sinners. It was there in Egypt that the children of Israel had to labor as slaves of Pharaoh. They had no freedom. 
to work as they pleased and for their own benefit. They had to work for Pharaoh's benefit. They had to work under the hot desert sun to the crack of the whip of their slave taskmasters who increased their burdens, who cast their baby boys into the Nile River and tried to destroy them. They labored and labored with sweat and blood and tears in hard bondage and rustless, bitter toil until God brought them out. And when they came to the other side of the Red Sea, imagine the rest in their souls. Imagine the relief of their redemption, their freedom from slavery. So God leads them down to Mount Sinai and he says to them the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In that day you shall not do any work. Your servants, your children, your cattle, your animals shall do no work, but you will rest on the seventh day. God emphasized the seriousness of that command because whereas Adam and Eve delighted to keep the Sabbath day, having the law written on their hearts, now God's people had a fallen, sinful nature. And the Sabbath also often felt like a nuisance. And there was a temptation to break the Sabbath. So God warned them. Exodus 31. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout her generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. After the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and in that time we are told in the book of Numbers, there was a man who picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. We might say that's all he did. He picked up sticks to make a little fire, and he was stoned to death by God's own decree for desecrating the Sabbath day. At the end of that wilderness wandering, Moses expressed the commandment again in Deuteronomy 5, which we read. But there you have to notice something different. There God said to Israel, you must keep the Sabbath day holy. Six days you shall work, the seventh day you shall rest. And he said, this is why. Remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Now Moses is saying, you must keep the Sabbath day not only to remember God's work of creation, but especially to remember that you were a slave in Egypt and God saved you. God redeemed you. He set you free. He brought you forth. He gave you the land of rest. 
the land of Canaan flowing with milk and honey. Therefore, the Lord says, keep the Sabbath day in thankfulness to him for his work of redemption. But that was only a type and a shadow. That work of redemption was only a type. It was not the real redemption from sin and death. It was a type pointing forward to the higher and the better reality still to come. And because it was only a type, the children of Israel must continue to keep the seventh day as the Sabbath day. The day did not yet change when God brought them out of the land of Egypt. It was still the seventh day. But throughout the history of the children of Israel, from the wilderness to the time of the judges to the time of the kings and even after the captivity, again and again the children of Israel desecrated the Sabbath day. Just as they defiled all of God's commandments, worshiping other gods, worshiping images, Blaspheming God's name, they also broke the Sabbath. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 13, in Isaiah's day, God rebuked them in strong terms because of their merely formal observance of the Sabbath. God said, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your Sabbath days. I don't want your outward worship. That's an abomination to me. That's what they were doing. Going through the motions of religion pretending to keep the Sabbath day, but not really keeping it. In the days of Jeremiah, God told him in chapter 17 of his book, 21 and following, to rebuke the children of Israel because they were bearing burdens on the Sabbath day. Now, the problem was not merely that they were carrying some things, but the idea is they were going about their daily tasks as if the Sabbath was just another day. They were carrying their burdens. Jeremiah rebuked them from that in the name of the Lord, and he called them to repent. And he said, if you do not repent and keep the Sabbath day holy, the Lord your God will devour you with fire and destroy you utterly from off the face of the earth. That's exactly what happened. God sent the Babylonians and burned Jerusalem to the ground. The Israelites went into captivity And they came back from captivity. But they continued to fall into the sin of breaking the Sabbath day. In the days of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 13, verses 15 and following, Nehemiah had to rebuke them again. These were the returned captives, those who loved the Lord and his house and went back to the land of promise. But Nehemiah had to rebuke them because what were they doing? They were treading grapes in the wine press on the Sabbath day. Just as if it was another day, they went into the wine press, treading the grapes, making wine, going to work. They were buying and selling goods at the marketplace, acting as if it was just another day. After that time, in the period between the Old and New Testaments, a group of Jews arose who came to be known as the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees reacted against all of that laxity of Sabbath observance. The Pharisees were aggrieved at that. And in the beginning, the Pharisees had a good cause. 
They saw laxity. They saw a lack of Sabbath observance. They saw that the people of God were working and buying and selling and acting as if it was just another day, an ordinary day. But the Pharisees reacted and went to an extreme. The Pharisees began to make all kinds of rules about the Sabbath day. They made long lists of rules in which they told the Jews what they may and may not do. Many, many, many rules. You may only walk this far. And if you walk one step farther than that, then you've broken the Sabbath day. You may only write so many letters or so many words, and if you write a single letter more than that, you've broken the Sabbath day. The burdens that you carry must be of a certain weight, and if you carry anything heavier than that, then you're breaking the Sabbath day. That was the situation when Jesus came. And now we read in the Gospels what our, how our Lord dealt with the Pharisees. We read, for example, in Matthew chapter 12, that when his disciples were hungry, they plucked ears of corn on the Sabbath day and they began to eat. And the Pharisees said that was not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. But the Lord Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath day. Don't you know that it's lawful to do things that are necessary on the Sabbath day? And then when he was in the synagogue and there was a man sick with a withered hand, they watched him to see what he would do. And Jesus said, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like the other. In Luke chapter 13, we find more of these kinds of incidents. There was a woman who was very sick, who had an infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord said unto him, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. And so our Lord teaches us the truth about the Sabbath. What we need to understand, though, is that when Jesus came, he did not abolish the Sabbath day. Many people read those incidents and they say, you see, Jesus abolished the Sabbath day. Jesus does away with it. Jesus rebuked them for their Sabbath day law. No, what Jesus did was he rebuked them for their reaction, for their wrong views of the Sabbath, for their legalism. You see, the Pharisees not only made rules that were not in the Bible, rules that God didn't make, 
But the Pharisees also said, you better keep those rules because that will be your righteousness before God. And if you want to be saved, you better keep the Sabbath day holy, including all the rules that we have made. That's what Jesus opposed. But he did not abolish the Sabbath day. He purified the Sabbath. He restored the Sabbath. And he taught us further about the true meaning of the Sabbath. Our keeping of the Sabbath is not our righteousness before God. Jesus himself is our righteousness. And thank God for that, because how often do we break the Sabbath day? All the time. Jesus kept the Sabbath day personally, perfectly. In Luke 4, verse 16, we are told that on the Sabbath day, Jesus went into the synagogue as was his custom. Luke 4, verse 16. He went to church. That was his custom. Every Sabbath day, he went to church to worship the Lord his God. And he did that perfectly. Perfectly he kept the Sabbath day. That's how he is our righteousness. We have broken the Sabbath day. He kept it for us perfectly in every detail. But the Lord Jesus Christ not only kept the Sabbath day in his life, he also fulfilled the highest reality of the Sabbath day in his death. When the Lord redeemed Israel from Egypt and rested in his perfect work, that was a type of pointing forward to the greater work of redemption by his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Jesus came to redeem us from slavery. We are slaves by nature. Slaves not to Pharaoh, but slaves to Satan, and slaves to sin, and slaves to the world, and slaves to our old sinful flesh. Slaves who cannot do anything but sin and who do nothing but incur more guilt and become more and more worthy of damnation. Jesus came to redeem us from that slavery, to set us free and to give us rest, to give us freedom in salvation. And the only way that he could do that was by becoming a slave himself. Jesus became a slave for you and for me. He toiled under the burden of our sins. He bore that heavy burden. He toiled under it. He sweat bloody drops in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he gave his body to be nailed to the cross and shed his precious blood on the cross And in all of that, he was laboring and toiling under the burden of the wrath and judgment of God for our sins, including our breaking of the Sabbath. But through that, he accomplished a perfect work of redemption. And when he said, it is finished, that was the real finishing of God's work. Our text in Genesis says God finished the heavens and the earth, but on the cross, Jesus finished the work of redemption and gave up the ghost and was buried. And on the first day 
of the new week, he entered into his rest in the resurrection. He entered into that higher rest, that better rest that God had determined from all eternity, that greatest reality of Sabbath rest when he arose from the dead on the first day. When Jesus arose, he didn't arise and enter into rest just by himself, but he arose as the first fruits of all God's people. When he arose from the dead and entered into his rest, we did too in him. We entered into our rest with him. So that what Jesus did when he arose from the dead and entered into his rest on the first day was he acquired from God the power and the right to create a new heavens and a new earth. And that's why the day changed from the seventh day to the first day. The requirement of the Sabbath changed because now the highest reality of God's work was accomplished and he rested. Jesus rested. After all of that work on the cross, he rested in his resurrection and we rest in him. Jesus has acquired the right and power to create a new heaven and a new earth. And that new creation will be a place where we will rest forever and ever. Work, yes. But that work will no longer be a toil or trouble, but a blessed enjoyment and delight. And in that work we will rest forever and ever. And that's why the requirement changed from the seventh day to the first day. We are no longer to keep the seventh day Sabbath. Those who maintain that the Sabbath is still in force, but it's the seventh day, although they think they have a very solid argument because the commandment itself says the seventh day, yet they neglect to see that that aspect of the commandment was a ceremonial aspect that was fulfilled by Christ. They neglect to see that the greater and higher and better work is not the work of creation, but the work of salvation through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. That sets the new Sabbath in place when he arose on the first day of the week. Why do we come to church on Sunday? To remember God's work of creation? Yes. But do we say that every sermon has to have God's work of creation at the heart of it? No, we don't. We do say that every sermon must have the work of Jesus at the heart of it. His death and resurrection. That's why we come to church on Sunday, to remember what Jesus did in his death and resurrection. That's the Christian Sabbath. We look back at what God did in the beginning, yes. Very important. But we always look back at what God did in Christ. The first day of the week is the Christian Sabbath. The early church already recognized that, and if you read in the New Testament, you find that, although not right away, but gradually, the church began to stop observing the seventh-day Sabbath and they began to observe the first day. 1 Corinthians 16, the apostle tells them, 
to take a collection on the first day of the week. Because that's when they gathered together for worship. In the book of Acts, we are told that Paul was preaching to them on the first day of the week. And that's when they broke bread. That's when they did the Lord's Supper. That's when they worshipped. Also, the early church fathers, after the scripture was complete, you can read in the early church fathers and you find evidence that the church observed the first day as the Lord's day. So just as God blessed and sanctified the seventh day in the beginning, he blessed and sanctified the first day when Jesus rose from the dead. We must observe the Sabbath on the first day of the week. That's our calling as Christians. Observing of the Sabbath means that on the first day of the week, we have to hear what God says in his law. Six days shalt thou labor. But the first day you shall rest from all your labors. We have six days in every week to work, to do our ordinary work, plowing the field, planting the seeds, harvesting the field, building, doing the plumbing and electric, fixing cars, driving trucks, cleaning houses, studying and doing homework, And whatever the work is that God gives us to do at our particular stage of life, that work that is our ordinary, regular work, we have six days to do it. And we are given one day to rest. And that's a blessing. God blesses the first day. It's a blessing that we don't have to work on Sunday. That's the part that we ought to remember. Often we try to ask, what can we do on Sunday? What can we get away with? What is lawful to do? But really the better thing is to ask, is it a blessing? Is the Sabbath a blessing to me? I remember that when I was a young man in college. I had lots of studies to do, lots of books to read, lots of papers to write and reports and so on. It's busy being in college Being in work is busy, and owning your own business is busy, and there's so many things that we have to do. And there's a temptation to try to squeeze a little bit of that in on Sunday as well and try to get a little bit of that work done on Sunday. But we need to recognize on Sunday, not only am I not to work, but I don't have to. And when we realize that, it really becomes a greater blessing. I don't have to, yes? That might mean you have to work harder on Saturday to get it all done. But then you have the whole day on Sunday to rest and to enjoy a rest from your work, from your toils, your anxieties, and all that goes into daily work. That means, too, that as Christians who understand the Sabbath, we ought to avoid taking a job that requires us to work on the Sabbath. How many jobs are there nowadays that allow you not to work on Sunday? Many, many, many jobs out there tell you you have to work on Sunday, or at least you have to work on Sunday once in a while. We as Christians ought not to take those jobs because that requires us to give up our day of rest. Now, there are certain jobs that 
are works of necessity. There are certain jobs that are works of mercy. There is the policeman, and there is the fireman. There is the doctor, and there is the nurse. There is the caretaker. And there are many other jobs. And the Lord teaches us that some of these jobs have to be done. Someone has to do these things. They're necessary work. And some of them are even works of mercy. And the Christian may do those kinds of jobs. But I would also remind us that the Christian ought to consider very carefully before we take a job like that. If we know that taking this job and signing up for this job means that I will have to be gone from church a certain percent of the Sundays of the year, which is a large percent, I might well consider whether that is the kind of job that I ought to take when I will have to be working many, many days and missing the worship of the Lord. When we always remember that Sabbath rest is not only resting from our own work, but it's resting in God's work. It's a time to be refreshed in the work that God has done for us. It's a time to be encouraged, comforted, built up in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And are we willing to give that up time and time and time again? There is work that has to be done. Jesus corrected the Pharisees in their legalism and in their hypocrisy when they said only six days of work, uh, six days a week may work be done. And Jesus said, you hypocrites, you yourselves will pull the sheep out of the pit if it falls in on Sunday. Or for them it was Saturday. And that's true. There are certain things that happen on Sunday. There are storms that cause the electricity to go out. There are problems that happen on the farm. There are problems that need to be addressed. And the Lord says we must do those things. But on the other hand, let us be careful about the temptation to try to make the Lord Jesus teach what he's not actually teaching, to try to stretch that to include not only things that are legitimate that must be done, but also things that we just want to do. And sometimes there are things we want to do that don't really need to be done. And we can make the area of works of necessity much bigger than it actually is. The commandment stands for us on the first day of the week. Rest. Do no manner of work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle. Do not work on the Lord's day, but rest. It is a time to delight in the Lord's redeeming love. To go up to his house with gladness. To hear his word, his gospel, his salvation. To worship him in song and prayer. We must remember that it's the Lord's Day. There are all kinds of other questions that we ask. Can we go for a walk in the bush on Sunday? Can we go for a ride in the car out in the countryside? Can we go for a swim in the pool or the lake? Or the stream? Are we allowed to go for a bike ride? Can we play a game of hockey or volleyball? Or can we play board games? Are we allowed to play games inside and only not games outside? Are we allowed to watch television? Can we play video games, social media? Are we allowed to look at videos on YouTube? All kinds of questions, aren't there, 
that come up. May I read this book, or must I only read a spiritual book? Can I read that magazine, or only the Standard Bearer and the Beacon Lights and other spiritual reading? What am I allowed to do on Sunday? And all that I'm going to say about all those things is that each family has a little bit different conscience when it comes to these things. Each of us has been raised a little bit differently when it comes to these things. Some have been taught that that's okay. Some have been taught that that's not okay. So what are we to make of that? Well, we are to understand what the Apostle says, for example, in Romans 14. Let everyone be persuaded in his own mind. And the one whose conscience has no trouble with doing this or that thing must not despise the Christian whose conscience will not allow him to do that. One Christian's conscience says, I may not do that on the Sabbath day. The other Christian says, there's no problem with that. This Christian must not despise that one and call him a Pharisee. And the one whose conscience says, no, I may not do these things on the Sabbath, must not judge the Christian who says, My conscience allows me to do that on Sunday. That's the other temptation. The Christian who thinks, I may not do those things on Sunday, must not judge and condemn the other Christian who thinks it's okay. The apostle says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. But let us all remember, whatever our conscience says about those things, it's the Lord's day. It's the Sabbath day. It's the day of rest. It's not a day for work and toil and struggle. It's not a day for worldliness. It's a day for the Lord. It's a day for church. It's a day for worship. It's a day to focus on God. It's a day in which we give thanks to God. We don't make a long list of pharisaical rules. The Bible doesn't do that. We don't do that. The Reformed Fathers never did that. I read Herman Bavink and a little bit of Abraham Kuyper last week. And Kuyper makes the comment that one Christian may not impose his conscience on the other Christian in these matters. And Bavink says no Jewish strictness, and neither of them we're willing to enter into making a list of rules of what is allowed and what isn't allowed on the Sabbath day. But they both encourage us, the scriptures teach us, Jesus teaches us by his example, when he went to church every Sabbath day, that's the Christian life of thankfulness. That we strive to devote the day to God, whether we're eating or drinking whether we're going to our friend's house or whether we're going to the Lord's house, whether we're walking in the bush, that we remember this is God's day from morning till night. There are six days in which work may be done, but this is a day of rest. And what motivates us to keep the Sabbath day holy is gratitude for all that he has done for us. This day, is a memorial 
of what Christ has done through his death and resurrection. That's what Sunday is until the Lord returns. That's what the Lord's Day is, a constant remembrance of what Christ has done in giving us hope for eternal rest in the world to come. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the rich teaching of thy word concerning the Sabbath. Much there for our consideration, much for our comfort, much for our instruction. We pray that thou would guide us as we form our own consciences in the matter of observing the Sabbath day. We pray that thou would lift up our hearts to Jesus and remember that this day is his day and grant that we might be filled with thankfulness from Sunday to Sunday to remember all that our Savior has done for us. And in this too, may we be motivated then to do works of mercy, good works for the good of others, even on the Lord's day. Now part us with thy blessing, bring us home in safety if it be thy will, and strengthen us for the work week that is to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.